0: You are now tuned in to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Superlative, a podcast about watches, the people behind them, and the worlds that inspire them. Spending time with the blog to watch community and the stories we discover. Let's get started. Hey everyone, Ariel Adams here with the Superlative Podcast. This is the show by a blog to watch and I am joined by a special guest, Mr. Nicholas Hirsch. He works at his family company which is Hirsch uh, watch straps and bracelets as he likes to say. And he also does some I'll call it modern internet marketing initiatives and he's a bit of an influencer. He has a website called Dress of a Watch with a related Instagram account. Nicholas, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So one of the reasons that I'm so excited to ask you questions today is you represent an interesting form, or I guess you could say um, part of the watch industry, which is someone that grew up in a super traditional company, but who is bringing a lot of modern things to the company, especially in terms of marketing and communication. Would you agree with that, that you are trying to bring some modern forms of doing business to a company that has existed a long time? I, I
1: would totally agree on that. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that we are in a different time now than we were like 10 years ago or even five years ago. And I think we need to move on and, and try new things to to prepare ourselves for the future. And the the main goal is to have a company basically that we can pass on to the next generation. So we have to be open for new things.
0: Watch straps are one of the most nuanced areas of being into watches, right? Like, as you know, and again, I think maybe you've been living it so long, you take it for granted. But I'll just say, as a watch collector, being into complete watches is a little bit different than the process of getting your own strap, replacing straps, ordering custom straps. It's it's really an entire different hobby, right?
1: It actually is. And I think if you look at the community, there are two two different communities, basically the ones that are trying to get into the space and, and who are already in the space and the ones that don't ever touch it and don't change anything on their watch. So it's a, it's a fun part, actually.
0: Yeah, it's sort of an advanced thing, right? It's one thing to get you know, I'll use the car terminology because people know it more. It's one thing to get a stock car. It's another thing to say, okay, I just bought this car. Let me modify it in some way that may have never been done before, or is a little bit less common. The, the mentality required to personalize your watch comes with, and I hope you'll agree, both experience and a sense of personal confidence, right? I mean, it, it definitely
1: does. I think if you are willing, to, I'll take this example because it's it's the most progressive, in my opinion. Um, if you're willing to take off the metal bracelet on your Rolex, for example, then then you have to be quite confident in doing so, if it's a new one, at least.
0: Yeah, that's true, because it's basically like the best bracelet in the world. And if you take it off, yes, you can make it more your own, so to say, but... You're also not wearing the best bracelet in the world, right? Like that's a, that's a hard decision for a lot of people to make. Definitely, it is. It is. Yeah. So you probably had your first experience taking the bracelet off of a Rolex. How how old were you? And again, you you're probably ha- done it younger than most people, just given your particular status in life.
1: I uh, I got my first, or I bought my first Rolex in. Uh, 2012. And at that time, I, um, I was already working in the company and, um, I was working with one of our, um, skilled craftsmen who creates the custom made, um, straps and he showed me how to do it basically. And then I started to fiddling around on my own. So you will see that, um, my, uh, Rolex Milgauss, the watch that I bought at that time, um, it it has some scratches from from working on it myself. But now I know how to do it. And and it's and it's actually not that hard if you
0: know what to do. So so yeah, it has become much easier, actually. You're you're a lot you're very much a do-it-yourselfer, right? You like to style your own watch, you like to change your own straps, you like to solve a lot of your own problems. Yet people might think that given the fact that you grew up essentially in a family watch strap and bracelet business. You could just go in and have people do things for you. Where did you develop this desire to want to do things yourself?
1: Ah uh, that's a good question Ariel i I actually don't know, but um, growing up my um, I, I was I'm the oldest um, child from from my family and um, I have two younger brothers and I was always the one that was basically taking care of them and um, learning how to cook because my 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 father was on business trips a lot. And my mom was um, accompanying him because we did a lot of business in Asia, and the family aspect is very important in Asia. And from there, I started to teach myself these um, new skills. And we had this, we had this saying or this um, this thing that we did in our family that everyone should learn one new skill every year and like have one new license basically or, or one certificate that then we learned a new skill. That's cool. And 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 so at a young age, we started to learn these new skills being at sports or any crafts or any other thing. And from there, I think I picked this up and I, I, I still do it today. So I try new, um, I try new things every day. Um, I, I started on clubhouse last weekend and uh, yeah, I go from there. I, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I like trying things on my own and then seeing if they fit to me or
0: not. It's true because sometimes you make avoidable mistakes because you don't want to have an expert do it or you don't want to listen to advice. You have to sort of do trial and error yourself. So you have to break things. But at the end of the day, you're more capable, right? Definitely. I think this is one of the most important parts to make mistakes And
1: learn from these mistakes. I think one of these, um, this is one of the most important aspects to our life. We don't learn that easily from someone teaching us. We rather learn or learn more efficiently. If we make a mistake, learn from the mistake and then don't do it again. So I feel that that this has become one of my mantras to just keep on making mistakes basically.
0: Okay, so you're quite the young philosopher as well. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out how to help the audience put Hirsch as a company into perspective. And I thought maybe a good way of doing that is for you to share some of the stories you have growing up of people coming to you and telling you what the company meant in their life and their business because of course it's existed for a long time. What were some of the stories you heard about Hirsch growing up that you think help you know, really well frame what the company is and what it does?
1: So the most important story anyone should know about us is the the founding story, basically. We have a long tradition in leather craftsmanship, so that's why we we date back to 1765. Um, But the founding of the Straps Company, basically, um was was done by my great-grandfather. And he moved to the south of Austria just after the Second World War. And he started to collect leather scraps from the shoe industry, um, which was very prominent in the south of Austria at that time. And he started inventing things with it. He he wanted to create something. So he was a he was a bit of an inventor himself. He was very skilled And he created watches or wall clocks and and these uh, things. So he started to create watch straps because he had the idea that having a watch in your pocket is not the most ideal situation to read the time. And he... So we're
0: talking the late 40s, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So 1945 to 1950,
0: basically. Okay. So he had this resource available to him, which were these... Unwanted pieces of leather and other material from shoes, and they were probably very cheap. And he could do whatever he wanted to with them. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I also have to explain that um, after the World War, it's not like
1: we had a lot of money, and we were. It was very easy to create a company. That at that time it was very very hard. Um, but he uh, convinced his wife, my great grandmother, to help him make these watch straps, and then he went out. In to the jewelers and to the watchmakers, and said, You have to buy this product because you will need it and your consumers will want it. And so he started off um, selling and selling, and he was very persistent in doing so. So,
0: yeah. So, this is well into the existence of the wristwatch industry. I think it's really important to talk about this that after World War I, not World War II, the wristwatch finally became acceptable as a male. Um, wearable item. Before then, wristwatches were seen as quite feminine. A lot of people don't know that. Um, and after soldiers who were in the trenches in World War One strapped pocket watches to their wrists, sometimes they would weld lugs to them and you know, use a piece of leather or something like that to attach to the wrist, they found that to be quite convenient. Like you said, that your you know, your grandfather found out, where a wristwatch just seemed to be more practical on a daily basis than a pocket watch. And that was after World War One, but it takes a long time to get people to abandon old habits because even now, you know, twenty, thirty years later, people are still attached to their pocket watches. It wasn't until later in the twentieth century where the wristwatch really proliferated everywhere. Is that would you say that's correct? Yeah, I, w- I would definitely say that. I,
1: I would also. Um say that it was a very very hard task for him to get the jewelers uh, to convince the jewelers to take
0: take on his product because they were very very hesitant to do so are there products like that today you see where certain things maybe it's not a product but a certain way of doing business that is definitely going to be super important to the watch industry or already is yet there's still a lot of people in the industry that may not accept it any any modern analogs to that you can think of i'd say online shops E-commerce. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, of course I have to agree. I kind of made my whole business around that and you as well. (laughs) Yeah. I I think, I think the, this, this is a good, um,
1: equivalent to, to what the straps were in at that time, because nowadays the very young brands, they start to operate e-commerce and omni-channel systems. Um, whereas the bigger brands, they're still very hesitant in doing
0: so. So E-commerce, internet marketing, everything related to do with you know the internet seems to be a weird thing that's difficult for a lot of the industry to grasp. Help people who are not you and me understand why something as seemingly ubiquitous as the internet still has a lot of holdouts in the traditional watch industry. What's so weird about it? What's so scary about it?
1: I think the one of the most important aspects or one of the aspects that I think I would like to point out is that it's a matter of branding as well. I think, or you should actually be, but these brands have been here for a long, long time and they're very protective of their of, the, of it. So I believe that they are very hesitant because they want to see if this is here to stay, if this is something that their consumers will like or not. And that potentially takes a bit more time for them to implement because they want to
0: do it their way and the most perfect way they can do it. Interesting. So would you say that it's fortunate or unfortunate that world circumstances like the pandemic are Forcing a lot of the watch industry people to maybe act faster, act sooner, go online faster. Is that a good thing because they were just too slow? Or is it maybe a bad thing because a lot of them just, you know, aren't quite ready yet?
1: No, I do think it's a good thing. I mean, the total the the whole pandemic situation is a bad thing overall for for, for the population and for of course, health. Of course. But um I think it offers a lot of opportunities. And we need to know as Humans, that the world around us is changing faster uh, than it used to. And we see that in technology and has been accelerating for a long time. And now I think no one can say that the internet is not here to stay. So I think that it's a very, very good thing that we have an acceleration in terms of digitalization. Um, I think it's also a very Good situation for us to slow down a little bit and think about what we want to do um, as as human beings, and for the brands, I think for them as well. I do believe that we have been in a situation where we have tried to sell as much as possible under um, any circumstance, and now we need to be a bit more mindful of what we what we create. Um being it making it more sustainable um, and making it less less just a commodity product that anyone will buy in huge quantities and then throw away and that's, yeah. the, that's yeah. the that's the exciting part about the watch industry. When we create watch or when they create watches, this is something that's going to be around for a long, long time, and that's I think what what is a good thing for the brands as well because they can just easily adapt if they want to.
0: I mean, just as you talk, I'm thinking about a very obvious thing to me, and that is how this particular fact needs to be reversed. And the fact is this, right now, if you want to buy a watch or a strap or some type of accessory at the cheapest price, most of the time you find that price online. And the more expensive price is in the real world, which also comes with things like inconvenience, But if you think about it, it actually makes more sense for the internet to offer, I'll call it the retail price and the, you know, in-world relationship you have or discussion negotiation, which is not, you know, recorded is probably the best place to find a discount as well as you have to run and chase it because it's the real world. And maybe that's where, you know, it's, it makes more sense to find discounts, but do you agree that little things like this are parts of the things that need to change to help make the watch industry just sort of work with the digital world in a little bit more stable way?
1: I do believe so, yeah,
0: definitely. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad you agree. You know, I'm thinking about what it must have been like to be you as a kid growing up in a watch strap environment for a company that not only makes a lot of, you know, watch straps for brands behind the scenes, but also sells directly to consumers and things like that you saw the world changing before you as you were growing up. And a lot of people, they were wrong, but a lot of people, especially in the early 2000s, were saying things like, watches are going away, no one's going to care anymore, no one's going to know about this. When you were growing up, were you maybe a little bit scared that the industry that you were born into, that you had all this knowledge of and connections and may not be around when you were the age to start working?
1: No, never. I was never scared because the... As I said before, I think you can. I don't believe that watches will go away in the near or the far future, um, simply because they they have so many emotions packed into them, and seeing that brands like Apple or Samsung or all these other um, tech companies come out with with watches, uh, with smartwatches. Is actually a good thing because it just means that this place on your wrist is being is becoming more important, and is still re- relevant to the younger
0: generation. And I think that's that's a good part about it. I you know I'm wearing a smartwatch right now, and I remember the first time I wore an Apple Watch to watch manufacturing in Switzerland. It was it was pretty close after when the the, the smartwatch was released. And I had a very interesting piece. You remember that Apple came out with the solid gold version? Yeah. So um, Apple let me borrow one of these and I wore it to Switzerland. And it was amazing how something very interesting happened. People at the manufacturer would run up to me and grab my wrist and look at it. And their immediate reaction was like, traitor, how dare you? But then when they realized (laughs) it was the gold version, they were like, wait a minute. This seems quite familiar we we also make gold things, okay. I'm gonna say that this one's okay, and they were so conflicted because the watch you know it lived in two worlds at the same time as a luxury item and as this you know threatening technology product and they didn't they didn't know what to make of it, but now, <laughs> I think a lot more of them agree with what you're saying, and this is what I've been saying ever since the beginning is that this just brings attention to the space, and even though, yes, I guess it's some competition ultimately this just proves the relevancy of this thing worn on your wrist, that this wrist real estate real estate, just is, is so relevant. And that's that's really ultimately what's so important. And I think what we've seen is even if you integrate smartwatches into your collection, it does not replace the emotion of a tangible watch or the real dial. It just doesn't, ha- it has utility, but without as much personality, right?
1: Exactly, yeah, it, it- it's definitely a bit less of personality um, with the smartwatches because they have such different kinds of functions, but still they represent something on your wrist. And if you look at the Asian market, I think that's also a very interesting part is you see people wearing two watches at some times with the Apple watch and a luxury watch. And I think that's that's a good sign, um, meaning that this space on your wrist is still extremely relevant to the people. And I don't believe that it will go away.
0: What is the business like for straps for smartwatches? I think that this is still a really underdeveloped area because as we said, the smartwatch itself is really an appliance. It has sort of a generic look. And these days the the screens aren't blank, which is great. But still, you know, it, it looks like a technology product. The strap is where you can add all that personality, where, where where, along the lines is the world in this sort of third-party, high-end strap for smartwatches? Where are we at with that?
1: So um, I'll be completely transparent with you. We had a bit of a hard time finding this our place with smartwatches when they first came out. Um, there are a lot of younger brands than um that buy their products from from production facilities and and have their own designs. And they've done a better job than us, for example, in in, in making them relevant for the smartwatch user. But what we see now is that exactly as what you said, is that this high quality products that have been known in the watch industry for quite some time, that these brands are coming and are... um, Beginning to claim this space for them. So what we have started is we have implemented new measures, new easier ways for the consumer to get our products. So we have an adapter that is easily integrated with our whole strap collection, um, and that can be easily put on to the to the Apple Watch like any other Apple strap. So this is this is one thing. And I think okay, that you got if, that part it, figured out. What else? Yeah. Given, give us a little bit more time, and then the consumer will see that these brands, like us, for example, are the the real deal and are also very, very relevant to them.
0: Okay, so it sounds like a space that you'd like to be in a lot more, but is proving a little bit hard to penetrate. Um, you want to make sure that you get, you want you, you maybe it's maybe it's unclear what consumers even want in that space. Like you know what you want, but you know I don't think the market has a built-in demand yet, right? The, the the problem is that we see is that the level of education
1: on the on the topic of straps is very low, so people don't really know a lot about it. They don't they don't um, they don't educate themselves on it. They don't they think okay it's a, it's a calf leather strap. Why does this one cost twenty dollars and the other one hundred? What's the difference? Does it even make? Is there even a difference? So this is something that we're trying to do right now and showing the people what the difference actually is, what it means to them because in the end you're wearing a a piece of, of leather um, or any other um, uh, material on your wrist. And the wrist is one of your body parts that is moving a lot and it's very sensitive as well. So you need to be careful what you put on your wrists um, and also manufacturers and brands like us need to be very mindful of materials they use and the chemical situation and the sensibility of the skin and everything. So this is something that we have been doing for a long, long time, because of course, we, we, we have been working with the watch industry in creating amazing products. And this is something that we're trying now to educate the consumer about what he is using. And I think it's also the same thing about the topic earlier mentioned by me with the sustainability. I think we need to be a bit more mindful in what we buy. And if we buy something for $100, for example, we will have it longer than the piece we bought for $20. I,
0: I'm going to recommend a new sort of sales pitch here that might be a little bit easier, right? <laughs> Please. Go, tell people, don't buy our strap first. In fact, don't buy our strap second or third or fourth. Go out and buy a bunch of other straps, hopefully cheaper straps, wear them for a little bit, see how they don't wear comfortably, fall apart, discolor, are stiff, have uneven stitching, bad colors, whatever it is. And then when you've you've had all that experience, then try a Hirsch. And guess what? You probably won't have those problems. Maybe that's a more simple approach.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Definitely.
0: Because, I good, mean, that's re- it's really the point, right? When there's all this competition out there on the internet with all the volume, it's really hard to say, like, why you're good. But it's easier to say, you know those problems you've had before? You just won't have it with us. Exactly, yeah. Totally. And the best watches are ones that have that type of slogan, but it's really unsexy. You know, for example, like "We'll keep time well." <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's a good thing, but it, it couldn't sound less sexy these days. You know, <laughs> in, a, in a marketing standpoint, you know, "Will not fall apart." Um, Crown will not fall. You know, pull out in first week. You know, these are these are positives that maybe are difficult for mainstream audiences to, to consume properly. Um, what about you? When you see a strap that isn't yours and it's a cheaper one. What are some things you look at where you try to identify if it's high quality? I mean, you said that people need to be more educated, you know, and and you are someone who is in a stylist position. G- give people a couple of tips. Um, you you have a strap in front of you. Uh, what should you do to look at it to make sure it's, it's, it's worth time on your wrist? So the first thing I look at is
1: um, I touch the upper and the bottom material to see what kind of texture it is and to see if it's if it has a, a plastic feel or not. Because if, if it does, especially on the bottom side, then you will well, then it definitely is not chemical free and it has some things in it that you might not like or you might not want.
0: Sure, okay, so let's so hold on a second. Just so I want to make sure that people do this. This is important. So this is the yeah. this will be called the lining of the strap, and this is the, the lining that touches okay, yeah. touches your wrist, and you don't want it to feel synthetic or too smooth or like it doesn't breathe. Like help help people understand what yeah. that means.
1: So the best thing to use is something extremely natural on the bottom side on the lining, or um, we have new materials coming up like caoutchouc. Um, this is high quality rubber. Which is hypo uh, hypoallergenic and doesn't harm your, yeah, your your body and your health.
0: Is that common? Is that common for people to get like strap poisoning? Um, they don't get strap poisoning, but
1: they have it, they can have allergic reactions to 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 things uh, that are. Well, okay, I'll put it in a different way. If you have a low quality strap, the strap doesn't have a. A one stream flow of of um, air and 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 and, and um, fluids. So what we, for example, we do we have th- we have three layers, mm-hmm. but all these three layers consist of the same type of material. So if you have, for example, dirt or fluid, like of course we all sweat and these things, they don't get captured within these um, layers. They can move freely and then they can go out. And the good part about our straps, for example, is we recommend that you, from time to time, wash them. So for everyone out there that is listening right now, yes, um, this is just one misconception. Leather is okay to be washed, but you have to have the right type of leather as well. And you don't need any additional products to keep them intact in the end uh, when, when drying them. So what we do... Sorry, Ariel, you wanted to say something.
0: I'm just thinking about people that live in tropical environments that wear leather straps and what they look like after like half a year, and it's it's a disaster. Yeah, <laughs> like it is. Leather straps is
1: horrible. It is, and I, I think this is also something that I need to state here. You you can't do a lot um, against it. I think that is very normal because in the, in the end, if you wear leather or any other type of skin um, from an animal, on your wrist, it's still a living um, material. And it does change over time, and sometimes even, well, change in the bad way. So this is something that
0: we all need to bear in mind. I I actually want to talk about this a bit later, and that is based upon where you are in the world, what strap options are available to you. Um, So let's hold on that, because I think that's (laughs) a great topic. Going back to checking your strap, we were at, Touching the fabric on the top, touching the fabric yes. on the bottom. What's the next step? The next step
1: would see uh, would be to see or feel what type of cushion is being used. If it's a very very soft one or very very hard one, you want it to be uh, simply s- simple with the steak. For example, you don't want it to be too rare, and you don't want it to be well done. You want it so to be medium. In the middle. Yeah. So you want to see that it's it's not too stiff, but it's not too, um, too uh, soft I, as well. Anything
0: you compare it to, like maybe a certain number of book pages or some other common material, because I, I know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> but for people that don't have all that experience. Because, I mean, here's the thing. There's a lot of straps out there that look beautiful, but they're yeah. stiff as cardboard. Okay? Yeah. You're like, oh, wear it in like a baseball glove. They never wear in. There's like some weird tool, and then they just have this permanent like arc to them. maybe, you know, back me up or or correct me, but if a strap doesn't bend on its own, that's really the problem. If it's so stiff that it doesn't bend freely, that's bad. If it's so soft that it bends too easily, that means it's fragile and it will probably break.
1: Exactly. I mean, we also have to state here that there are different types of builds of of, of straps as well. If you have a very straight one, then of course, the cushion is going to be well, it's it's going to be very, very flexible. Um, But to what to compare it to is a very difficult question. I need to I need to figure that out the next time. But
0: um, what you it's can do is thing. It's like saying if the watch feels heavy in your hand, it's good. Well, what does heavy mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I would say if there's this there's this um, easy method of um, checking with checking the 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 rareness of your stake as well. So I compare it to that if you, if you, it shouldn't be too rare. So it shouldn't be hard if you, if you test it with your fingers on your, on your, um, on your hand, but it should be something in between, not too soft and not too, not too hard. I yeah. know it's hard to explain and it's an no. audio uh, podcast. So I, but I'll do, I'll do something on this topic and for the people who are listening, and if you want to check it
0: out, you'll, you'll find every information on my profile in the next couple. I'm of gonna try weeks. this because I'm really happy with yeah. this. If you bend the strap with your fingers, it should be happy to stay in that bent state, it shouldn't feel like it wants to bend back. It it would be okay to bend back a little bit because you well, want it to like the tiniest amount, meaning it doesn't yeah. you want it to f- form. Whatever the shape of your wrist is, everyone's exactly. shape is
1: a little bit different. Exactly. If it doesn't
0: want to form that shape, bad. Exactly. Exactly.
1: That's that's exactly the point. Yeah, definitely. You, okay, want, it have- to, you want it to adjust to your wrist easily and not um, be stiff and not wanting to adjust.
0: What about aesthetics? You know, one of the things that people talk a lot about is stitching. And it's very weird because some people like hand stitching, which looks organic, right? It's not even. Some people prefer machine stitching. You know, some people like double stitching, some people like no stitching and they want to be glued. You know, what should people look for in terms of the construction?
1: So what what I always look for or what we recommend is um, to look for a straight um, stitch stitching pattern. Um, nevertheless, that being said, it really depends on what you like. If you're someone that's into handmade and, and, and this DIY aspect, then it's totally fine for you that the stitches are, are not perfectly aligned and that's okay. The most important part here again, is that, um, the materials used are great and that you have a sense when looking at it, that it feels and looks good. I think that's, that's one of the most important. But from the stitching point, it doesn't really matter because there are so many different types of stitchings and it really um, doesn't change the product itself too much. And we also have to say that stitching is actually... Um, well, it does... It, it's an aesthetical part of the watch strap. So okay. it's something totally up to you, if so you like it or
0: not. Let's sort of break this down a little bit. Because again, I'm trying to help people have a lesson in how to choose these esoteric things. And let's be honest, <laughs> understanding how to choose a watch strap if you haven't had like our level of experience is a pain. So yeah. what Nicholas is saying is that the construction really isn't as important as the materials themselves. Everything from the, 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 the skins, the materials, the cushion... It all has to be a high quality material. How it's all put together is, of course, important, but a lot of it ends up being a matter of taste. It's really the materials. It's like in cooking, technique is, of course, an issue. But if you don't have good ingredients, you're never going to have something good.
1: So I want to add something because this is, I think, for me, the most important part when looking at a strap is you should definitely check the edges. Edges. Because what you yes the edges you know why because you don't want your watch strap to as I said earlier to take up too much um, of the dirt or the sweat or anything else so you want it to be enclosed as possible and you what we do is we have a special method in doing it so you will see in our straps that our the the upper material is also perfectly aligned on the edges as well. So you see, we, we, we like, uh, how do you call it in English? We, we wrap
0: it around
1: basically. Onto so you,
0: roll, you roll it on to the, the underneath surface a little bit.
1: Yeah. That being said, we don't put it under on the bottom side where the lining leather is. We just perfectly align it. On oh, so it's like, the just edges.
0: oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's hard to do. And then I know sometimes there are sealants, or glues or paints and things like that that are used is that is that that's not as good right like using the original material itself that's the best edging yeah you know you know why because you don't
1: have an open space if you use if you have these straps that are just cut out basically where they have open edges they they have an open part of the skin so so water or uh, or dirt and these things they can come in to the watch strap which is avoided by by using for example our method and there's a second method that can also be used and which you see a lot with um, textiles is to really wrap it around this is also one good thing and the third one that is very very common but you have to also here be a bit careful because you don't you can't really see it the only thing i can say is if it's a cheaper bracelet then um, it will definitely have it will definitely not seal as good as you would expect it to, but in the higher end um, wash straps, you will also find um, a, a coloring on the edges, which is totally normal because it's very typical and it's also an aesthetical thing. And this is if it's if it's used with a very high quality color or paint, then you don't have to be um, afraid in in using it because it is it also seals the edges very well.
0: Okay, and any last things that people should notice on a strap when they're trying to evaluate it? Yes, one more
1: very easy thing you can see is if you use your fingers on the edges and don't use your nails, but just try with your fingers to like see if there's any peeling off of the the leather on oh, the and edges. You're talking about. Yeah. Then you will see that if it's you will quickly notice if it's a good or bad strap. Because the but very good the straps, they don't part. have a problem. The edges yeah.
0: seem to be the most fragile part of
1: the strap. Yes. And the, okay. the easiest thing to to see, to check it with, is the tip of the watch strap. Because this is the hardest part to get sealed perfectly.
0: And the part where you have the lugs. Okay. Okay. I'm, so I'm going to make a statement to people. And I want you to sort of correct me if I say anything yes. wrong. This is basically like... The 101 on how to start buying a new watch strap. Okay, this is the very. I'm thinking to myself right now. There's got to be people listening that are being captivated and they're like, "Oh my God, this is a whole world of straps." But I've never changed a strap before. Can I do it myself? The first answer is yes, you can change your watch yourself. But that goes anywhere from easy, I can do without tools in two seconds, to oh my God, I'm going to scratch the hell out of my watch. Right? There's so <laughs> many, and there's some watches you can't remove the strap at all. Um, there's a lot of brands out there that make straps with this sort of proprietary end. And the idea is they want you to go back to them to buy new straps, which, you know, it is what it is, but that means you can't necessarily go out there and buy a, a third party strap. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, can I even change my strap at all? Um, and if I, and if it's something that can be done by maybe a watchmaker that has the tools, can I buy a third party strap? Second thing you have to ask yourself is what is the width of the strap? There's a a measurement. It's between the lugs. Um, It's usually in millimeters. It's anywhere from about, I guess, 18 to 24 on average, though uh, there's exceptions. And, you know, it's usually a straight space and there's something called a spring bar. And you need to have the spring bar as well. And those come in different grades from cheap to amazing. And then you can choose the last part, which is what is the color and material and potentially, what is the um, the use utility you're going to have? Would any anything else you would add to that? I think I think the last part you mentioned is
1: is very um, open. So uh, we know that nowadays tool watches aren't really rarely used for for the aspect of being a tool. So if you want to pair some. Some colorful watch straps with your diver, for example. Then just go ahead and do it because you probably won't go diving anymore.
0: You can be colorful while diving. Of course you can be. Yeah, you can. You can definitely. <laughs> there are some cool, cool rubber straps,
1: cool cowtrick straps, cool hybrid straps out there that that can be that are made for for these types of situations as well.
0: Well, I wanted to leave it up to you as, you know, someone who's a style and you're more fashionable than me. Okay, if you go to uh, dress of a watch, you know, Nicholas knows this stuff and, and you do a really good job with that. So I want you to give some basic style tips. A lot of guys, they think that discussions like this tend to be, you know, more like feminine, like talking about, you know, style tips. But I think, honestly, it's a really healthy conversation to have with watches where it really is all about style and discovering style. As an otherwise macho man is something that you need to do if you like watches, correct? Exactly, yeah. So, so let's get please. into it. Let's, let's hear how, how, do you style, how do you style yourself? How to style a watch is something that you have to follow him uh, to figure out, but how do you style yourself? So, what I do is I, um, I start
1: with, I always start with my pants. Because they did de- they determine the day if it's gonna be a casual day, if it's gonna be elegant, or anything else. And from okay. there I build I build the style. But in terms of, of the watch I pick, this is this just personal preference, what I feel currently on the day. Um and I uh, I just recently bought the the Brightling Super Ocean Heritage with a rainbow dial. And oh, uh, nice. this, this is this is the one that that I need for a day that where I need a um, a boost in 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 positivity, um, so so for example, if you if you're someone that is wearing a lot of black or suits, for for example, in because you have to work, um, then what I'd recommend is definitely going for black and brown straps because this is the best option you can do. But if you, for example, have a grey suit or a blue suit then try something out in this area of navy or gray because they they're easy options to choose and they don't like they're not as um flashy as different other colors so this, this is the most easiest tip if you want to get into styling your watches for example or a bit more mindful in how to style yourself just try pairing colors with each other that's that's the easiest thing
0: yeah i know and that's a simple technique and it works really well a lot of people don't think about it what would you say to the guy that wants to start his day with a watch? Meaning rather than thinking about an article of clothing like his pants, he's like, you know what, I'm really in the this watch uh, kind of day mood. But sometimes it can be difficult to figure out how to pair uh, clothing with it. Is it just a matter of color? Is it just that simple? Well, if, you, if we're just talking
1: about the, the watch itself, then I I'd personally say if the watch is, is a very simple watch and doesn't have a lot of color in it, then you're f- fully free to go and pick anything you want. If you have a watch that has a little bit of color in it and for example, you have a day of work again to, to name this, this, uh, situation then for example, like my Milgauss with the green sapphire glass is, uh, is a very extroverted watch in that sense. So what I, what I try to do normally is, um, uh, I paired with a, a black leather strap or something that goes well in that range just to take a little bit of the color off and not to make it pop too much. But for example, if you're, if you're someone that loves colors um, and doesn't mind um, trying some, some new things out and and you're this type of person, then go ahead and, and try anything you want. I think one of the most important aspects when, when styling the watches, if we, if we, can stay on that topic for just one more second, is you don't want to pair too many colors with each other. So if I take the example of the Milgauss again, you have the green sapphire glass and you have the orange details on the dial with the orange seconds hands and um, and the orange uh, details on the indices. So what you want is you want to pick one color. So I, I usually go for green because it goes very, very well with the sapphire glass, and i and I leave it at that because in the end, it will get too much, and i don't I don't recommend like pairing a blue strap to the Milgaus because it doesn't make any sense,
0: you know i I think that there's so much wisdom in what you said because I know it was traveling around the world going to watch events that made me as a man think about style. I just never really thought about it before and You know, growing up in California, there's really no pressure to wear anything specific. You're just allowed to wear whatever you want. A lot of parts of the world, there's more of a style that people conform to. But when I started traveling and seeing people in the fashion industry, luxury industry, whatever, and I I started learning a lot of things, but there's resistance to it, right? Because I was like, no, I don't care about fashion. But learning certain simple things like not just paying attention to colors, but how to use them, that makes such a big difference. And then materials comes after that, right? It's choose the right colors, then choose the right materials. It's not magic, but when you do it well, it's it almost seems like magic, right? Totally.
1: And and if you have like a, a very basic looking watch, and don't don't hate me for saying this now and referring to a basic watch, but um, for example, those the Speedmaster. I think the Speedmaster and the Speedy Tuesday trend was one of the most um, well, for me at least, iconic memories I have from people styling their watches. And the Panaristi is also a second one that I'd like to mention here. But what you saw with, with the Speedmaster is people challenging themselves, trying out new styles for their watch and putting it into a new dress, basically. And I love that aspect because with a watch like the Speedmaster, the classic moon watch, you have so many different options. You can try any color you want. Because it's so subtle, it has a very versatile design, and you can go from—I don't know—you can you can take a uh, a black, or you can even take a colorful uh, alligator strap and make the watch look very elegant, and you can go for a a rubber strap as well and make it super uh, sporty. So this is something that, especially in 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 watches, I do think if if you you have a very nice audience of, of watch collectors here, I, I I would assume. So for all of those, you can easily start with, with a watch you have at home that has a very basic design and very versatile design. And then you yeah. can try anything.
0: Yeah, so I guess what you're saying, and again, I want to add here because I have so much I want to say about this, is <laughs> <laughs> all you collectors out there, choose a watch you have that fits this particular style. I, I mean you're right. Basic is the right term, but it's almost like generic, right? Like it's not that it's bad, but you know, this sort of monochrome look, so many colors fit with it. Now this, the segues and the sort of idea, and a lot of people talk about this, there's certain watches that fit really well with multiple straps. And there's other watches that like only a small number of colors or styles look good with it. You put the wrong strap it it turns ugly. And most Panerai watches, Speedmasters, some um, Submariners, these are watches that have such a, a generic, and I use that in a positive sense design, you can pair it with almost anything and it will still look good. But that is by no means the case for every watch. Totally. I totally agree. So, okay. So start with something like that. Figure those ones out. Okay. Let's, let's talk about watch straps around the world. And this this goes to some advice and, or just pointing things out about certain practical realities related to weather or whatever, and also some interesting cultural differences, right? Just like watch tastes differ around the world, so do watch strap tastes. And I'll, and I'll say the first thing, and we're talking about tropical environment. I remember the first time that I, I spent time in a very tropical place for a long time was in Japan after college, And I brought a few watches with me. This is before I started a blog to watch of course, but I was already into watches. And I had like six or seven watches with me. And there's only one watch that I could wear the entire time. And it had a rubber strap because it was sort of sticky all the time and wet. And that was the only one that didn't just feel horrible. Um, So in, in humid temperatures, when it's hot, like certain things just won't work at all. What what's another one, Nicholas? What's some something you've noticed maybe where you live or other parts of the world where are like practical realities that might limit strap choices.
1: Yeah, I think I think if you have a material that is very open like um like suede or or these um um patinated and open materials, then definitely you should only use them in climates that are drier and not as humid because these materials are very sensitive so i see that nevertheless I, I i think that a lot of people love suede at the time and it's a very big trend so can um, you get suede wet i've always heard back and forth don't get it wet like what's the deal with water yeah, and suede? yeah you shouldn't you shouldn't get it wet the recommendation we have is to like only brush it off if you want to clean it with a like with a with a tooth toothbrush for example, or with a sense with a small brush um you shouldn't really get it wet. I know that we can we there are some materials that can get wet, but it
0: won't look the same as before yeah it's a it's a delicate material okay, so what about some interesting cultural habits around the world that have an implication on watch strap wearing?
1: Yeah, so what you definitely see is especially these um, materials like calf leathers, the most popular ones. Um, the the leather part is very, um, very very popular. But you've, like you mentioned, in humid um, temperatures and in humid regions, you have. Um, I'd recommend definitely going for a caoutchouc or a rubber strap, and um, more specifically, also if you like what. Um, you like leather, for example, there are some hybrid um, straps as well that can go very well because they, they don't have this huge surface that is being attacked by the humidity. So this is, this, I think this is the most important difference or the biggest difference from like, humidity and dry regions um, with leather and, and rubber straps. Other than that, I haven't been seeing a lot of bigger differences.
0: Okay, so you're saying that sort of around the world, of course, depends on the watches you like, but strap habits tend to be pretty uniform, it sounds.
1: Yeah, you have regions, for example, like um, you just mentioned with Japan, where people are very interested in alligators as well. So the the high-end luxury watch straps. Um, We have a big community in the U.S. as well. I know that there's um, something going on with... with, um, banning alligators but i was just about that, yeah. you told
0: me in my mind
1: <laughs> but nevertheless you also have um especially in the in the higher end watches watch industry you have still alligator is one of the most most popular um, picks
0: okay i i need to say something that is I, again the things that come up when you're in the watch industry you never can predict before you're in so one of the things that has been a big deal in my life and probably in your life as well is in america uh, certain types of of animal skins under cites have to have a certain permit to enter they need to be declared and things like that and that causes a lot of complexity it's, it has really good reasons behind it they're trying to stop you know illegal poaching and 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 you know uh, a lot of you know ex- a lot of activities that are bad for animals and and illegal and stuff like that totally understandable but it's also very very limiting And so there's this funny thing where there's these alligators that are (laughs) raised in America (laughs) and farmed for the skin and meat, I guess. And then the skin goes to Europe. And then upon coming back to America, it's treated like some type of like contagion or like contraband or like questionable good. It's like it actually originated from America. It was processed in Europe or Asia or whatever. Now it's coming back. Why don't you trust your own stuff? Are you on the same page here? (laughs) Yeah, it's it's kind of it's, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and in California, where I live, you know, it's weird because I think maybe they repealed it or part of it, but there was a ban on all alligator. I mean, what what it was? Uh, it's maybe it was all animal skin other than like calf, calf, you know, leather and and stuff like that, and cow. I I don't know, but it was like it was just this blanket ban, and it meant that you couldn't buy an alligator, or crocodile, or lizard, or a few other straps. In this entire state, and it was like, what were watch brands supposed to do? We we're supposed to have a separate strap just for this one market. Like, what's going on with that?
1: Yeah, well, we have to. There's something that we need to we need to talk about if we talk about these bans. And there has been a lot of bad things um, happening with the treatment of the animals when they are um, processed um, for their skin or for their meat. Um, so there has there There are some very good reasons why people are thinking about um regulating the space. And the space has been very, very well regulated with CITES, for example. And this is one of the I think one of the best organizations um to take care of the the animal skins because they' have, it's it's a very highly regulated they're space.
0: They're very strict,
1: yeah, they're very strict. And you have to apply for a license and you don't really get the license if you don't need it specifically. So for us, for example, it took a lot of time for us to get it. And we now are one of few that are allowed to to import and export CITES. And the same goes for for any other country. So this is is one very, very good thing that we need to bear in mind. And I do believe that it is very, very important that we uh, think about the treatment of the the animals. Um, However... Uh, when we think about how it's done in the US, namely from the bigger sources, then they have been doing a great job in 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 what they have uh, they have complied with all these regulations. So I think it's it's strange to say that if the product comes from the US, then goes to Italy, for example, for further treatment, and it comes back to the US, then of course it's it's hard to not say um, or not to think about why it's not okay um, yeah. <laughs> whereas you have other reason regions where it's not being done in that um specific uh regulation regulatory right. look,
0: coaching way is bad it, it, look i know yeah, that definitely and you know animal abuse and stuff like that look to be a human being you just have to accept that we are going to Exploit animals by eating them or displacing their land. Like we're, we're not very nice to animals. There's not too much we can do about it, except be mindful of it, and not try to do more. But to sort of say we can never have that type of relationship with the planet. I mean, morally I understand it, but practically it just doesn't really make any sense, right? So yeah, it's it, it's been hard because there wasn't this level
1: of transparency that we have right now. And n- nowadays we can track. So, for example, what we have implemented in our system, we, with, with other bigger um, producers of the Wolf watch straps, for example, we have a, we, we founded an organization that takes care of the security and the transparency in the supply chain and the process. So, what we, what we can now do, for example, we can trace back the, the skins we get back to the, the farm, for example. So we know where they are coming from. We know the whole process. um, And this is, I think, a big achievement in this industry to ensure this transparency and this aspect of sustainability as well. I think
0: the consumer deserves it. If you're spending this type of money on these fabrics, you totally deserve as much effort into an ethical treatment of the animal, farming, not disrupting wildlife, I think for me, that's where I draw the line. Like, if you're going to farm an animal, you raise it for the specific resource. Yeah, there's suffering, but you're not you're not negatively taking something away out of a natural environment. For me, that's what freaks me out. You know, thinking about poachers, you know, going to jungles, completely removing species that leads to extinction. That's what really bothers me. I mean, I think that to destroy your own land and and make it bare, and to you know d- destroy the earth and the natural environment, that's what really bothers me the most. And we continue to have a problem with that around the world, and it's heartbreaking yeah. because there these entire populations of animals are disappearing. Humans are a very good predator; they can take out like all the lions if they wanted to. All I mean, like you want gorillas gone in a second? Just let the poachers in there. Literally, in like two weeks, there'll be no more gorillas ever anymore, and ever in yeah. the world.
1: And we also have to just for um, the transparency as well. The watch industry is a very, very, very small part of this leather, um, industry. So there are much bigger parts in clothing, for example, fashion, shoes, which take up a big, much bigger market share and that have a bigger, bigger power in, in, in changing their systems. But I think nevertheless, every, every person or every company in the supply chain needs to, needs to work on their, their sustainability and on their transparency, because it's very important for the future.
0: No, I agreed. It's it's a it's a topic to keep watching. And I think the industry is getting better and better about these things. And it sounds like Hirsch, of course, is is definitely more advanced. So thank you for even talking about that. I think it's really important. Okay, so we're My almost better. at the time. So I want to figure out some of the sort of nice some closing topics. And I think one of them is help encourage that person, man or woman, that just hasn't gone ahead and changed a strap yet. What words of encouragement or advice can you give to someone who is really curious about seeing how a watch strap can be changed. Um, And before you say anything, I want to say this. Here's what you get out of it. If you play with your watch strap, it's a lot more than just, oh, I changed the color. Oh, it's a new material. It transforms the watch. You can take a mediocre watch and make it really cool. You can take a nice watch, make it even better. You can make a cheap, unwearable watch actually pretty nice with the right strap. So it's actually worth it because you'll really upgrade your collection. Okay, Nicholas, help people get started.
1: So if you're hesitant in doing so, the, I think the best thing to do is to do some research. If you really want to try it out, or if you're just thinking about trying it out, do some research, go on Instagram, for example, check out the bigger pages or the pages that are dedicated to, to styling the watches. If you like, you can check out mine. You don't have to. Yes, there's oh some other. <laughs> there's some other great pages out there as well that do a fantastic job in showing what's possible. Um and and just see what what possibilities you have. I think every it's, one of us right now,
0: the only things that I say Instagram is good for.
1: Go yeah. On. The 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 thing that we all think about right now and I think it's becoming even more important for us to think of ourselves as an individual. We don't have to we don't have to follow this herd of everyone being the same. So I know that there's a lot of people out there that love or that want to to Um, Express themselves, and that they don't know how to. So, just try and do their do your research. And if you're if you're hesitant in, like, trying a very um, bright color or something like that, go for something very simple. Just take off the metal bracelet if you have one on, and try a black one. Try a black leather strap. Try try a black rubber strap. This is a safe choice. Just try it, and you will see that it would look completely different. And I think for all these watch collectors out there that have um, become sick of one of their watches, I think instead of buying a new one, just try a different watch strap and you
0: might fall in love
1: with, with your watch again.
0: What, what should somebody be spending? I mean, you can spend a lot, hundreds of dollars more on like a custom strap. You can go on eBay and find stuff for like five bucks, have great photography, and you get it and you wish you never bought it. What What is someone... Should be what should they be spending on their their first straps? What's sort of the lowest end and the highest end?
1: So right now this space is uh, well, you have everything from five dollar straps to four hundred dollar straps. I think if you if you're getting started and you want to try it out, go for go for definitely go for quality because this is something most the most important part. And if you go for one of the bigger watch strap brands, um, then then you will find. Very good straps in a range of uh, thirty-five to eighty dollars, depending on the material.
0: Okay, so that's 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 a pre- that's a pretty good amount, and that's okay. That makes sense because you you shouldn't spend three hundred dollars, and if you're spending like ten bucks on it, um, that's bad. But you can spend you know about forty dollars, and, and and like Nicholas says, get a really good um, strap. Any any last sort of piece of advice for? someone that's just sort of getting into thinking about changing the watch strap really wants to see what that can do for them.
1: Yes. There's one last piece of advice. If you want to try it out in changing your strap and you are very hesitant in doing so because you don't know how to take off your existing strap, go to a dealer or an authorized um, dealer, watchmaker, jeweler. They are more than happy to help you out. They, if if they're one of our authorized dealers, they will even do it for free. So um, just bear that in mind. You don't have to do it yourself. Please
0: just change my strap. <laughs> that's what you have to say.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: Okay. Thank you so much, Nicholas. So this has been Nicholas Hirsch of Hirsch Straps, uh, a very famous Austrian strap maker that's made some of the world's best straps and will continue to do so. He has some other side projects such as uh, Dress of a Watch which is a website and an Instagram account. Nicholas, once again, thanks for joining Superlative. Thank you very much for having me here, Ariel. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Superlative Podcast. Support the show by subscribing and rating it on your preferred podcast platform. For questions, comments, and ideas please email the show at superlative at blog2watch.com For the latest in watch news, reviews, and culture, visit ablogtowatch.com. Thank you for listening to the Believe Podcast Network. Do you believe?